Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Crocker Coverlev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape. Time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 142. Of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? Uh, I guess, uh, as the saying goes, when you're right, you're right. When you're wrong, you are way wrong. And, brother, we got a couple fights way wrong this weekend. <laughs> oh, but we got some that were oh so right. Oh, we did. We did. But they were easy pickings. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe. We'll still claim them. <laughs> oh, man, it was a busy, busy uh, evening. Yeah. Uh, arguably the busiest of the year. Um, some good fights on the slate. Um, some showcase fights. But, dude, it was action-packed through and through. I had yeah. a good time. Yeah, I, I, I'll take that type of boxing weekend every weekend, man. Absolutely. Well, thanks to all of you out there for dialing into episode 142 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel for the latest videos from Vin and I here at the Boxing Rant. Follow us on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. and at Vince Cummings 81. Vin, an action packed weekend with some of the biggest names in boxing. Um, doing the dance, Anthony Joshua, arguably the fastest rising name in boxing right now. And really yeah, the biggest hype train in boxing. That's for sure. No doubt. But as far as, you know, attendance, uh, as far as what he's pulling in for purses, pay-per-view numbers over in the United Kingdom, I think he's probably trailing Canelo Alvarez right now. Oh, I'd say he's probably the most lucrative for the people involved outside of him in boxing. <laughs> Promoters and, and, and channels, whatever, whoever he's fighting for, Sky Sports, they're making fucking boatloads off him. Oh, yeah. Money hand over fist. Yeah. And they know it's only the infancy of this guy. Now 18-0 with 18 knockouts, squaring off against Eric Molina for the IBA heavyweight championship from Manchester, England. Dude, it was a packed house, 20,000-plus. Uh, I love the AJ intro with the flames. And, yeah. Uh, you know, love the theatrics. But, dude, this fight was what we thought it was. And Eric Molina, he kind of fought scared. He fought like a guy that knew he was going to get knocked out. I mean, this wasn't the guy that was making these ballsy sort of, you know, one-punch prayers against Deontay Wilder. I mean, was that because he just saw Wilder was kind of goofy and uncoordinated and he thought he had a shot? It's just the difference. <laughs> it, it, it's the difference between Wilder and Joshua as, as fighters. I mean, you, the style that Joshua has, especially against a guy like Molina, who's just, he looked like he looked a, like a cruiserweight. <laughs> yeah. He looked like a cruiserweight in he there. Did. He did. Joshua had nothing to fear. He just walked him down like we said he would and just unloaded huge shots. It, Molina curled up in a ball against the ropes. 
he was completely scared of getting his head knocked off. So I, I, look, this this fight went exactly how we expected. It's just a it's just another notch on the hype train belt for Joshua. Is all it is. I, I mean, the best thing to come out of this is we got the announcement of the fight that we want to see. Absolutely, the actual like the first time we're going to see this kid who's eighteen and zero with eighteen knockouts only fought forty four fucking rounds in his entire career. Forty four rounds is going to go in against a guy who has 70-plus fights under his he's belt. Got, I think he's 64-4. and four. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple draws. I, I, dude, he's – this is going to be an unbelievable fight. And, I, and look, I, that's the one thing that I'm glad. Finally, the mismatches are over. All right, no more easy fucking money. No more fucking bullshit pay-per-views in the U.K. Finally, the kid is going to get tested. Yeah, it's going to be uh... – a huge leap, then. Yeah. I mean, look, I think we've been realists as it's pertained to Anthony Joshua's rise to fame, rise into a box office attraction yeah. in the United Kingdom, because that's pretty much what he is right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Um, look, I know we're in an era of young heavyweights, and we got a lot of heavyweight talk to get to, but these guys are almost in the latter stages of a prospect into contender phase of their of their careers, yet... They've achieved more because of the vacuum and the hole that was in the heavyweight division. It got old, and there was one guy in charge of the belts. And then, you know, just through some, you know, a little bit of cocaine and uh, shots for everybody, <laughs> the vel- you know, the the belts were vacated, and now it's been scattered That's about. My kind of guy, Ken. <laughs> but the guys that he has been in the ring with, then, have been atrocious. Now, yeah. listen, Anthony Joshua is. Is, is a guy that has been on my radar for a really, really long time, Vin. We've had him on our prospect list. He's been in the top two, two years in a row. I mean, this guy's the real deal. Mm-hmm. As All the hoopla, the hype, the fact that Molina was a, a, a fucking just <laughs> a ridiculous underdog in this fight. Right. Let's talk about Joshua's performance. I thought Joshua looked more... Of a, of a tight package in the ring. You know what I mean? He didn't look to go outside of a game plan. He looked, he wasn't playing around as much with those flashy punches. Yeah, he was still snapping those straight right hands a bit, mm-hmm. but he wasn't standing there admiring them. He stayed in front of Molina, and he executed a, a, a brilliant game plan. And I'm just going to say it right now. Something that I, I, I mentioned in the pre-fight, and I don't know how many people saw my tweet about this, but I truly believe the best thing that has ever happened in Anthony Joshua's career that will help him more than anything going into this Klitschko fight was joining forces with Rob McCracken in the corner. He is arguably one of the best trainers of fighters in the world. Now, he's always been in the background. He's always been in the Joshua camp and been a part of that team. But with Carl Frotch out of the way, he goes from taking a guy that had limited tools, that just had a heart a hell of a chin and a big right hand and turned him into a future Hall of Famer. And now he's in the corner and has officially taken over the trainer responsibilities of Anthony Joshua. I think this McCracken-Joshua tandem will go very far. Yeah, look, I, I, love, the, I love the tandem. I'm, I'm right with you with that. You know, my biggest concern with Joshua is, you know, I, I'll take nothing away from his performance because let's be honest. I mean, it took what did it take Wilder ten rounds to get Molina out of there? Uh, nine or ten, yeah. Yeah. So you know, this was a complete walkthrough in three rounds. Never at one point did Molina even come close to being anything offensive in that fight. It was just it was ridiculous. 
I mean, that proves to you right there. There's a Joshua brings a different level in the ring. And, and to me, I, I feel like it's one of those things, and it's almost similar to like when Mike Tyson was real young. The effect of just when you stand in the ring and you look across and the bell's about to ring, and that is the guy you are facing, it is fucking intimidating, man. I don't care who you are. You can be the biggest, baddest man in the world. They all get nervous before the bell rings. But you get a little extra nervous when you're looking at a fucking freak yeah. standing 16 feet, 18 feet away from you that is getting ready to walk you down and throw huge right hands at you. I, I just think it makes guys, they, they don't want to get caught clean. Yeah. They're scared. Yeah. Uh, uh, dude, he's, he has that. I don't, uh, there's nobody else in the heavyweight division that has that effect right now. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know, there's two sides to sort of his. I, I I don't know, hyped up and, and dismal resume over the last four fights, right? Mm-hmm. It gives the, you know, Anthony Joshua and his team time to develop, but by putting him in with guys that are at the developmental level that'll make him look good, he's finishing these fights in such dramatic fashion that some people forget about who he even was in the ring with because of the physicality and the intimidation and the fear factor, like you're, you're saying, mm-hmm. but he's delivering on an aesthetic performance where people are impacted by the violence of that guy that looks so fucking freaky across from him that it's building the hype and people are like, they're willing to shrug off the fact that he's fought fucking Dominic Brazil and, <laughs> and, and Eric Molina and Charles Martin. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, one thing I do really like, about Anthony Joshua, and he, he seems plotting it sometimes, but I, I'd say it's more, he's he's a very relaxed fighter in the ring. Smooth. No wasted movements, no, you know, he just creeps his way forward, gets into range, touches you with the jab, and unloads the firepower. I, you know, it's it's hard to say where this kid actually is. Like, the, coming into this fight with Klitschko, you, you got to go, you know, it's, it's real hard to pick Joshua, and I, a lot of people are, and he's, more than likely going to be the slight betting favorite. Well, the opening odds came out. Yeah. Um, it is Anthony Joshua minus 210, Vladimir Klitschko plus 195. I mean, get your money in on Klitschko right now because that number probably comes down. I, I, I it, It's just hard to, to pick Joshua in that fight for me. And I think Joshua is damn good and has it's near 50-50 chance of winning that fight, but to actually go out on the limb and pick Klitschko. I can't do it. I mean, I picked Joshua, excuse me. Well, wherever Klitschko is in his career, and this inactivity at this age may be his undoing, and Mm -hmm. that's what Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua, you know, are banking on. Let's not forget that, for argument's sake, if Anthony Joshua is not, and he looks to be, the most powerful heavyweight in the world, Mm -hmm. then it's Vladimir Klitschko. You know what I'm saying? He's going in the ring with, if he's the most dangerous, then he's going into the ring with the second most dangerous heavyweight because nobody in the heavyweight division, I've never seen Anthony Joshua knock out anybody that's worth a shit. I have seen Vladimir Klitschko dispatch of 30 to 40 top 10 contenders in the heavyweight division. Yeah, I mean, the, the resume Like, is, knocked them out. Hey, dude, he's dude, knocked out over 50 fucking people, dude. Dude, the amount, the difference in rounds fought alone is just... Astronomical. It's unbelievable. The... There's no way that Anthony Joshua 
has anywhere near the ring knowledge that Vladimir Klitschko does. Vladimir Klitschko will probably make this fight boring. It's his only chance, really. He's got to make him fucking work and make this fight boring. And let's see what Joshua has from the eighth round on, because we ain't seen it yet. No. The furthest he's gone is seven rounds and two fights. He looks so the So think part. about that. <laughs> 14 rounds and two fights. So in, in 16 fights, other fights, 30 rounds combined. It's wild. It's, it's insane. This guy he just has no experience. He's never, ever even had to think about making an adjustment. And he didn't make an adjustment against Dillian White. That's the toughest fight he's been in. Yeah. There was no adjustment made there. He got buzzed in that fight. He got buzzed bad, and he got tired as shit after the fifth, sixth round in that fight. Yeah. He's yeah, lucky yeah. he ended it in seven. Dude, it makes it interesting. You know what I found hilarious was um, uh, in the post fight, not just Klitschko's cheesiness when he got on the microphone. Hey, everybody. You guys want to see a, a big a, a big show? <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Oh, uh, that was hilarious. He's never known for selling a fight. <clears throat> no, but, <laughs> dude, that aside, I thought it was hilarious was is the way they had the camera angled, Anthony Joshua was, like, literally right next to the camera, right? Mm -hmm. And Klitschko was standing on the other side of, of, of him, and it made Anthony Joshua look like he was 50 pounds heavier, two inches taller, and it made Klitschko look, like, super small. And then I saw all the photos from ringside after the fight when they were standing side by side, dude, they are the same fucking size. Klitschko's a little taller. Yeah, it's just Josh was a lot wi wider in the chest and back. And right, like but in that thicker. It, and it, but think about it. Klitschko's wearing a black shirt, yeah. and Joshua's sweaty after a fight with no shirt on, and he's standing right next to the camera. You know how, dude, when we video shows, you know, the perspective of the, of the camera changes everything. I think people oh, yeah. got a little out of control with that because these guys... This is going to be two eye-to-eye -eye giants. They're going to be almost the same exact weight, the same exact height, and physically in the ring with their shirts off, they're going to look each other's equals. They really are. Yeah, I, you know, Joshua's going to look a little bigger, but you're, you're right. These are the two uh, most physically imposing heavyweights right now. How does Joshua handle, let's just say, this early speculation on this fight. We know it's May, but it's not going to be until April. Mm -hmm. um, how does joshua handle being roughed up in this fight you know if if klitschko gets a hold of him and tries his dirty tactics and you know if they're smart they're the a side in this to to a degree because they are champion and it's going to be a huge you know sales uh, box office event and everything right what's going to happen i mean if the referee allows it is is joshua going to get frustrated and then in that frustration i can almost visualize joshua kind of breaking away from a clinch and Klitschko catching him with a fucking straight right. Yeah. I mean, how's he going to feel that? Ken, here, here's the thing. We've never seen him have to do that. He's going to have to do things in this fight that he's never had to do in a ring before. That's why it's hard for me to pick him. I, can he do that? I don't fucking know. I have no idea. Maybe he can. Uh, yeah. And if he can, well, goddamn, he's better than I thought. I'll be honest with you. A loss is not going to hurt this guy's career at all. Absolutely not. There's still huge fights with... Joseph Parker, Deontay Wilder. And dude, there's plenty of big fights if he loses this one. He'll snag another belt. And and to be quite honest, Ken, he's got a damn good chance to win. So yeah. I, it's it's a it's a toss up fight. He wouldn't be the betting favorite if he didn't. No. You know? Dude, he just turned twenty seven years old. 
Prime time, brother. In the heavyweight division, he's got 13 years left. (laughs) And the shape he's in, he might fight till he's 60. Although I think I heard something. Did he make some statement about I could see myself retiring in uh, five fights? If he's comfortable with the amount of money he made. Yeah, get out while you can. It ain't going to be five fights if Klitschko knocks him out. No, it will not. <laughs> it might take a little longer. Yeah. But, dude, they are going to make an astronomical amount of money for this fight. They're both going to make over $20 million for this fight. They're going to sell 90,000 yeah. tickets. Yeah, unless Canelo fights Golovkin, there's no way he touches what Joshua and Klitschko make for this fight. You know, I, you know going to a stadium and having that many people and creating that 90,000-seat environment, you can't get that anywhere else, but as far as going to a fight, that's a fucking shitty place to go see a fight, man. If you're sitting in the stands, you can't see a damn thing. Come on, man. We're, we're, I thought we were still lobbying to try to get some tickets. I mean, I'll take some freebies, but I ain't paying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, man, we'll still gonna buy need some. Going to need some lodging over there, too, fellas. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I think we know enough, uh, enough people over there. <laughs> Depends on where we want to stay, Scotland or England. I don't give a shit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, free is free. Hey, we'll stay with Steve in Ireland. Sorry, Steve, we're uh, headed your way. We'll, <laughs> we'll let you know when our plane arrives. Um, yeah, man, look, this is a huge event. I would love to go to this thing. I think that this is going to... Look, everybody's excited about this, and anybody that's hating on the excitement of this fight, go take a fucking hike. Regardless of what you think about Anthony Joshua, regardless of our speculation, our, our skepticism, our cynicism, for as much as there is of that, Dude, I fucking love this guy. I think that he's the best thing for boxing. Absolutely. And as long as he graduates to that level, I haven't given him a hard time yet because he just had his 18th fight. Right. But there's going to come a point, and obviously he's taking that next step. If there's these long periods of you know milking it and these cash grabs in the U.K. where he fights three or four times and then he fights another real guy, if he goes on a little run here, because these guys are vulnerable. Oh, hell yeah. Everybody's vulnerable. Everybody yes. is ripe for the picking, and they're all just dangerous enough to give him a hell of a time. Oh, dude. Uh, he could go on a three-fight stretch and, and clean, out, clean out the division. I, look, if he beats Klitschko, there's no turning back. I don't think they go back to fighting the stiffs that they're fighting now. They know they they're ready. Yeah, they can't do it. They, yeah, if he's ready, he's ready. Just take them all out now. Yes, and if he did that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, and the hype train would be... Uh, it would have been valid. <laughs> yeah, dude. If he if he puts together a 2017 on the same like let's say like growth of popularity scale that he's had over this last year, mm-hmm. but a year full of legitimate top ten, let's say unification fights, right? Yeah. And he has three of them. Let's say he goes Klitschko, Parker Wilder, just like that. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, takes them all out. I guarantee you, it'll be the biggest thing. In the world. Oh, I, I guarantee you the plan with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing for Anthony Joshua is to push very hard for a 2017 Fighter of the Year campaign. Absolutely. Look, they are in a position of power where they can pay these other heavyweights that aren't going to even as big as Deontay Wilder is perceived to be in the United States. The guy's still only making $2 million a fight. Oh, yeah. He's not at that huge premier level. Now, when he gets into fights against his biggest possibility for a payday is Deontay Wilder versus Anthony Joshua in Las Vegas. That fight, if it's built up properly and it happens at the right point, that fight is huge. But if Wilder traveled to the U.K., oh. that fight would be – they would be 
able to retire after that fight if they wanted to. They got to make this shit happen. I think Wilder is the type of fighter that you throw the extra cash on the table and say you want to travel for double. He down. Oh, he will make he will make the trip. He's got to know his days in boxing. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. Right. It could be five or six years from now instead of being 10 or 12 years. I think he knows with the third broken hand oh, yeah. that his days are numbered in boxing. He's going to try to make as much money as he can. Mm-hmm. And, dude, his daughter's got, you know, uh, some medical things to attend to. He's lived a, a tough life as a young man. Whatever you think of Deontay Wilder and 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 the path, the soft road that he's taken to his level of success, this is the kind of guy that deserves to fucking settle down after he's made a little bit of money. And I wouldn't have any problem with no, that. No, I, I agree 100%. I, you know, as much as I am not a fan of the way his career has gone to this point, I, I, I actually respect the dude as a fighter. I love watching his fights. And, he, he, dude, he just seems like an all-around good dude. There's nothing to not like about him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I don't know, man. It, it it just seems to me that he's starting to get the same gut feeling that I've had over, I don't know, the last like five or six years being a Washington Redskins fan <laughs> and the rivalry with the Dallas Cowboys. I've just had this sense that as soon as Tony Romo went down in that preseason game and he hit the ground and you could tell he was hurt instantly, mm-hmm. I just knew at that moment. And we were doing a sports podcast about it, and I said, Tony Romo's career is over. Yeah. And I'm starting to get those kind of feelings inside about Deontay Wilder's career. I'm not saying that it's, it's fucking pending doom. Right. I don't think it's going to last as long as we think. No, no. The, dude, the right hand's not going to hold up. It's yeah. not. And we'll see how it recovers for his next fight. Yeah. It's so funny. Everybody was kind of challenging on us. Uh, challenging us when when Wilder got hurt, and we said there is no fucking way he's coming back by January and fighting Joshua right away. Remember, everybody was like, "Oh, he said he's going to." No. The doctors said this. He, dude, he was all over that Showtime broadcast. And what did he say? He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get in there and get a tune up first and see if my hands healed." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, dude, the talk is just that talk was. Retarded. Utter, it was utterly fucking ridiculous. It's a man. broken hand, people. And uh, wasn't there a torn bicep also? Oh, that atrophy in his arm, dude. Man. It looked horrible. Yeah. I mean, look. Just to build that strength up. Yeah. What, what did they say? Nine weeks? He'll be back, huh, Ken? <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, man. All right. Let's tap dance around this. We'll stay in the heavyweight division, but we'll get back to uh, uh, where the champions may roam. Uh, Dillian White versus Derek Trezor. Okay. First off, the, the table that was thrown by Chisora <laughs> at the press conference. I mean, dude, we thought something might happen. It was going to take like a kiss or a fucking right hook, or, but it ended up being a table. That was unbelievable, man. I, I caught that on Twitter today, uh, probably like 20, 30 minutes after it happened, and I'm thinking, Jesus. You, you, you knew something was going to happen, but a table getting thrown yeah. and Eddie Hearn putting his hand up like a little girl, like, no. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> oh, they stopped, captured that perfectly. <laughs> oh, so awesome. But who would have ever thought them? The whole time, Dillian White's sitting there just laughing, too. He didn't even get up. He's just laughing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, but who would have ever thought that these two would have been the heavyweight version of Vargas versus Salido? That these two were a match made in heaven in the ring? Because after a, an exciting, I mean, it wasn't an overwhelming, but it was action-packed, hard punches thrown back and forth. First four rounds, I thought it was good. If the fight would have went on like that, I'd have been happy if it ended like that. But then in the fifth round, things erupted. And this fight <laughs> went to hell on a shutter. 
Oh man, it, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. It was a, a great finish coming from two guys that look. Let's be honest at what their level is as fighters. They're not world class, but dude, anytime you can get two guys that that naturally, I mean, they just hate each other. They don't like each other. Sometimes every once in a while, that type of fight gives us what we got here. And and let's be honest, and we've heard a lot of people say it. This has been the best heavyweight fight. In a long time, a long time, eight or nine years. Yeah, a very long time, and you got it from a, a guy in Derek Chisora that everybody wrote off coming into this fight as he, he's washed up. Me and you both did. Yeah, I, I had no clue he had that type of performance left in the tank. Oh, I thought Dillian White was going to dominate him. And to be quite honest, I think Chisora probably should have won the fight by a round, or should have been a draw. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, look, he. To me, he landed the bigger shots, Ken. I mean, period. There, he, there's a still photo of Dillian White turned completely 180 degrees away from Chisora with his eyes rolled back in his head. He looks like a demon. He ate some fucking monster shots, man. Yeah. Monster shots. Yeah. Just a, uh, I, when you don't expect it for, in a fight like that and you get it, it makes it that much better. And there's a lot of fight of the year talk. And he, I think it's definitely in the conversation. I don't – it's not my fight of the year, but it's damn close. Yeah, the Vargas Salido fights on the world level. I mean, that's a different – right, that's, it's that's, a different level of skill. That's the difference for me. I mean, if I, that takes nothing away from either one of them. No, I, no, not at all. Fucking unbelievable fight. Yeah, dude, honestly, I thought Trezor won this fight with the first four rounds, and it's the first four rounds that I said were sort of – they were good, but they weren't the fight of the year rounds. Well, Trezor had plenty of moments at late in that fight where he just dropped his hands and backed up to the ropes. Oh, yeah. He was done. There's no doubt about it. Dude, he was gassed late in that fight. He fought in like 30-second spurts late in the round. But I thought he chipped away and won three out of the first four rounds with his body work. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was slamming Dillian White to the body, and that's how the fight erupted in the fifth round remember Jazora got white on the ropes and just oh dude he tore him up he fucking wobbled him yeah and he was literally bouncing him side to side from corner to corner and then finally fucking he got so tired he stops fighting dude Dillian White waits 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 and then just pounces yeah and that's when the back and forth began I think that Jazora got the equity needed to eke out a one-point decision man but I don't have a problem with white winning. No, no. How about the referee? Uh, did you notice the referee? There, he's holding the gloves of both fighters as they're announcing the winner, and he's just taking White's glove and tapping him on the leg like, hey, you won, son. You won. You won. <laughs> I didn't see that. I was like, dude, what are you doing, man? Come on. You know the fucking camera's on you. It's almost you're making it look like it was predetermined. Oh, that's funny. Did he go around the ring and add up the scores and look? <laughs> It might have been a little, no. <laughs> Who knows, man? I think most people viewed coming into this fight that Derek Trezora was uh, a gatekeeper and that Dillian White was a future gatekeeper. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so who had a little bit more left in the tank as far as promotional potential, <laughs> you know? The gatekeeper versus the future gatekeeper. Yeah, man, let White make some cash first. Let him be an opponent before he becomes a gatekeeper. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so uh, Luis Concepcion versus Cal Yafai. Cal Yafai defied um, the skepticism that we had coming into this fight. And it wasn't about his talent or his ability because there's no doubt we thought that Yafai was a superior fighter in this fight. But would this be the case? As it is, it's not just, I mean, we saw it so many times this weekend, right? We saw guys that have been catapulted into championship fights 
with no resume that have yeah. no experience whatsoever. And we thought Calify might be one of those guys. But I tell you what, man, he was prepared. He was in shape, and he boxed a perfect match for this fight, man. He was on point, and this guy is going to make serious, serious waves in the 115-pound division. He, he is seriously good, man. I mean, this kid has got serious, serious talent. Um, probably, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but the way that kid fought in that fight, it makes you think, like, he's one of the most talented UK fighters there is. No like, doubt. From a talent standpoint, the speed, the athleticism, uh, the power he showed in this fight against a legit fighter, dude, uh, the sky's the limit for this kid for me, man. Absolutely, man. Congratulations to Cal Yafai. Well-deserved. Look forward to watching more of him in the future. A guy, Vin, that we have been following the career of closely has been criticized because, look, man, I mean, I think Callum Smith might be one of the longest-served mandatory challengers right now in all of boxing. I mean, I know Elder Alvarez has been the mandatory for – Donna Stevenson for 13 months, so I don't know if Callum Smith has that beat, but I think he might. Luke Blackledge, look, we just wanted to see something. This was a pretty, I don't know, the fight overall was pretty decent, but I tell you what, man, what came at the end of this fight, that left hook from Callum Smith was ex- is exactly is exactly the highlight moment of of that defines why you and I have both said numerous times that he is the best of the fighting Smiths. He has an intangible about him, and it's not just size and length. The ability to throw that punch at that speed when you are that tall and long. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the shortest, quickest, most powerful left hook I think I've seen this kid throw. Maybe all these soft touches have just been getting him the rounds that he needs to sharpen his craft. I don't know, man. Look, I, I think he not only is he the most talented Smith, by a long shot, I, the difference between him and uh, and the other Smith Smiths is he has serious power. This kid can punch, man. You know, I we'll see how that does against world level fighters. Well, but, his body attack will be what he does against world level uh, fighters. Yeah, if he lands that left hook to the liver, I don't give a shit who you are. You're going down. Yeah, and you know who is so wide open for that left to the liver? James the Gale. Oh, if yes, the, sir. If the Gale beats Jack, that's the one thing about the Gale, man. You can hit him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, look, he's The Gale's there to fight. He's not He's not dancing around the ring. No, no. He'll take some naps oh, yeah. from time to time. But, um, hey, man, I'm looking forward to how this thing all shakes out. They need to make this thing happen. January 14th, we'll find out. Absolutely. I mean, I know the, uh, the WBC tries to place themselves on the moral high ground when it comes to the four sanctioning bodies. But I can tell you what the WBC lacks more than any of them, and that is getting fucking fights made when they need to be made. They are the worst at getting mandatories made. The absolute fucking worst. They're the best at taking side payments. (laughs) Oh, man. Callum Smith knocks out Luke Blackledge. Shocker. It marked... The return, and I know the hype got so big, it drowned (laughs) out the Anthony Joshua hype train, and I know he's a little jealous now because it marked the return of Scott Quigg. Yes. Quigg, Quigg, I didn't see it, Ken, so you have to tell me how it goes. That's one fight I didn't see. I'm I'm serious. I didn't bother to watch. 
I don't know, man. It's just a guy that he brought up from 122 to knock out at 126. I think I saw the knockout punch, a big overhand right, big looping overhand right. Look, man, this is what Eddie does, all right? He, he, he tries to maximize the popularity of his fighters. Mm-hmm. He's a hell of a promoter. He has made Scott Quigg more money and more valuable than his talent requires. Yes. Let's just put it that way. Yes. There are many a talented fighter in the United States that are so poorly promoted that do not get the exposure they deserve. And we'll, we'll get to a fight that involved two of them. Let's be completely honest. But, dude, Scott Quigg is a total fucking apparition, okay? I don't, I, I don't care about him. I think he's a total hype job. I think he might be. People say, oh, the hype train behind Anthony Joshua. I'm getting tired of hearing it. That's fine. I'm sure it's so fucking loud in the U.K. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with that over here. But I will tell you this. Scott Quigg's noise is fucking unwarranted because there's something to Anthony Joshua. This guy is an overhyped B minus C plus level fighter. Uh, you ain't gonna get no argument from me, man. You know, not, look, Scott Quick. Scott Quigg is what he is. He's a tough fighter. I'll give him that. He's a tough kid, but he's just not world level. And I don't care to see him in against. It's just, I don't just don't need to be told he's world level. No, yeah, and stop. it's constantly. It's uh, no, no. He's going to get in against the best, and he will lose. Yes, he will. All right, moving on. I know that please, that was, please, please, you know, please. we broke a lot of hearts there. Um, King Kong Ortiz, David Allen. Remember, David Allen said that he wanted this fight for a long time. Jesus Christ. Come on, man. Luis Ortiz is not the kind of guy that can get up for schleps. He doesn't get, he doesn't care about these guys. No. You put him in there with somebody that threatens him and you will get the best out of him. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. mean, that's the way this guy fucking operates. And yes. Yes, I get it. He's probably closer to 40 than he is 37. I get it. But let's stop with, oh, he's 63. Look how fucking slow he is. It's like, dude, if everybody in the heavyweight division would stop being preoccupied with all the guys that have all these flaws, they take, they would take on the old man. Because while the old man may be the slowest of the bunch, he is the most technically sound and equally powerful to, to those at the top of the heavyweight division. David Allen ain't cutting the cake, Vin. No. And, and, and our friends in the U.K., they're being shortchanged. I know this This pay-per-view delivered on all levels. <laughs> but you got ripped off in the King Kong department. Hey, Chisora White, let's be honest, saved this pay-per-view. It did. It, everybody was coming into this just, I mean, the hate was real. And <laughs> after that fight, you're like, oh, shit, I guess I can't hate on it. No, no. I mean, look, overall, man, I think pieces are moving. Right. Okay, we got an announcement for a fight that uh, all of us are really looking forward to. Yes, Joshua Klitschko coming your way, April Wembley Stadium, baby. I can forget about the other shit now. That's in the past. I'll for, I'll forget about it. I'll try to, anyways. <laughs> oh, Vin, did you see that tweet? That guy that said that uh, you know, <laughs> you know, the day of Joshua Klitschko, Frotch is going to be standing out Wembley Stadium counting people. <laughs> <laughs> They ought to have him make the uh, the the stadium PA announcement of the uh, announced attendance. Oh man, dude! <laughs> I I guarantee you, for the right price, uh, Carl Frotch would do that job. Did you see him and Groves going back and forth? No, I didn't. Oh, dude, Frotch just fucking tagged him in in some kind of post. <laughs> I don't even know if George Groves had anything to do with the post, but you know, people tag people that have like big followings to you know get to their fans for a, re- a retweet. And fucking Groves responded and said, you fucking attention whore cunt, don't tag me in your tweets. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hey, man, if Frotch wants to come back and fight Groves again, I'll take that. Oh, I'll take it too, man. But I, if I was Carl Frotch, I'd tell you this. I'd be trolling George Groves for the rest of my life. <laughs> Why not, dude? Oh, I mean, you own him. Dude, the Cobra's got the cushy job and the hot wife. He's got everything he needs, and right? He's got two KOs to hold over your head. Yeah, yeah. He ain't going away anytime soon, man. Nah. No, nah. we'll see him in Canastota one day. You think? Yeah, man, him and Floyd are going to get inducted in the same ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the yin and the yang No, right actually, there. it's 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 Floyd, Floyd, Sergio, and Frotch retired in the same year. I'll take that. That's a hell of a class. I'll be there. I'm down. All right, so we move away from the United Kingdom. We bring it back then to HBO from Omaha, Nebraska. It was the return of Bud Crawford taking on John Molina, there seemed to be a vibe from the weigh-in when John Molina came in four pounds overweight, looked in horrible shape, looked like he had been doing fucking uh, – he was on a Coke bender for four days. How would you like that farmer's tan? Unbelievable, man. <laughs> and then just sort of like the whole way he handled the, the weigh-in and then all of the shots going back into the locker room when they were, like, getting ready. Like, it was almost like fucking Al was like, go over there and just be an ass. You know what I mean? Go right. over there and make a fucking fool out of this. Right. We're going to try to discredit this as much as we possibly can. Absolutely. One of their most, uh, their best commodities right now. Terrence Crawford um, played with his food a little bit, but dude, the way he knocked him out in the eighth round was like, look, I'm done with your fucking ass, dude. Yeah. Because I tell you what, Molina, they could have thrown in the towel. They right? should have. But he didn't seem to care. He just kept on coming forward. And, dude, Steve Kim said, uh, said it best. He said Molina just looked like a fucking drunk just stumbling forward. You know what I mean? Just looked like a drunk with vertigo. Well, his legs were gone the entire fight. The first time, he, I think he got caught in the first round like 20 seconds in with a right hand and did a two-step. Yeah. And yeah, it was dude. like, oh, Jesus Christ. He's just, dude, he's a shot fighter, you know, we said in the preview to the fight, we hope he takes it serious because it's his last chance. Nope. Uh, I don't know if we'll be seeing John Molina for a long time. I think he got 400 k for the fight. I don't know Was if that's... Al going to pay him that? I don't know if that's enough to cash out. I don't know how much money he's made in his career. I'm not even going to begin to think of what that number is. I'm sure he's pretty well off. You know, I think his boxing career is about done. I don't think anybody's going to pay to see another John Molina Jr. performance. <laughs> Dude, you know you're going to get Broner Molina, too. Yeah, well, that'll be the day I stop watching fucking boxing. Oh, man. It just goes to show you, man. Look, Terrence Crawford, to me, though, is on a completely different level than a fighter like Adrian Broner. I think if Terrence Crawford got in the ring with a guy like Broner, it would be one of the most embarrassing decisions that Adrian Broner has ever made. And he was fucking oh, love, emb- I, and he was embarrassed against Marcos Maidana. I, I would love to see that fight. Oh my God. That fight would be huge too. It would be. It oh it'd be because <laughs> everybody would pay to see Broner get knocked the fuck out, dude. Dude, and if there's if there's only one fighter in the PBC universe that has a legitimate hometown following. It's Broner. Yeah. That one- dude sells out Cincinnati every time and does a million fucking views on TV. It's like, why wouldn't you do that with everybody else? Don't you see what worked? Yeah. You got this clown over here fucking selling out and making millions. Yeah. Off that recipe. And guess what? They both have been built off that recipe. They have. That would be a huge fight. It would. Put that thing in Vegas right in the middle. Oh, dude. Just don't put it on pay-per-view, please. 
You know it would be. And fucking Crawford Postal was on pay-per-view. I, I guarantee you that fight would do a half a million buys, dude. Well, here's with what... Broner attached to that bill? Yeah. And you, you know what's happening, and it's with all these HBO pay-per-views and everybody's bitching right now. It's They're, they're bringing shit fights to the table, and HBO's just saying, look, man, sure, we'll put our name on the pay-per-view, but we're not paying for it. No, you're not getting any licensing fees. No. Well, dude, what if these pay-per-views... Like Crawford Postal, like Triple G Jacobs, if that if that ends up coming to fruition. What if these smaller level pay-per-views, even Andre Ward versus Sergey Kovalev, if they were 16 or $17 like they're in the UK, wouldn't you pay for all of them? I would rather cancel my HBO subscription and pay for which fights I want to, to buy. Say they're $15 a piece, but HBO puts on, I don't know, 20 of them a year. I'd rather and I, you could pick and choose and just buy the fights you want instead of paying whatever it is a fucking month, $15 a month to have HBO. Why don't they just have a channel that broadcasts all combat sports, period? Vin, you're taking it yep. too logical. But just you pay $250 <laughs> a year. I I pay look, $250 a year for the subscription to that channel that provided me every what is a UFC pay-per-view now, every what is a boxing pay-per-view right now yeah. worldwide and every and every promoter has access to this channel that you're saving money as a fan doing that yeah yeah i mean think about it you don't it. need hbo you don't need showtime there's 30 40 bucks a month right there <laughs> then look before we get away from this let's get away from the pay-per-view talk for a second yeah yeah let's do that let's Go. do that um what are your thoughts about during this fight all of a sudden, the narrative of Terrence Crawford, Fighter of the Year, came out. All of a sudden, Lampley says out of nowhere, he says... Oh, it was out of nowhere, huh? Yeah, out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere. Just randomly came to his head. Yeah. He's like, if Terrence Crawford beats John Molina impressively... It's like the fucking fourth round of the fight when it's almost a matter... Of, it's a foregone conclusion that Molina's going to be knocked out. He says, oh, if he can finish him early, then you got to consider Terrence Crawford in the fighter of the year uh, category. It was like, well, we know who HBO's fighter of the year is. Crawford 2016, huh? I tweeted it after the fight, dude. The fact remains, I don't, look, I'm not taking anything away from the accomplishment of unifying a division that has been difficult to unify because it's been in the hands of a promoter that can't make fucking fights. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give Terrence Crawford his due for unifying 140 pounds against who I still think is the second best 140 pounder in the world and Victor Postal. Give him his credit. But it's sandwiched in between two turds. Yeah. How's that? It's not just because nowadays, Vin, all you have to do to qualify and beat somebody who had two good fights is fight three times. When did fighting three times a year give you more leverage in a fight uh, in a fighter of the year campaign? Now, you have to take how many times these guys fight a year out of the equation and picking fighter of the year. You just have to look at the matchups that they had and what they accomplished in the year as a fighter. Uh, in this day and age, any, any fighter that's even going to qualify for fighter, uh, fighter of the year is more than likely only going to fight twice, maybe three times. You're not going to pick a guy like you, you see some people talking about Joseph Parker for fighter of the year now because of fighting five times, getting a belt. No, no, that doesn't. I'm sorry. He beat nobody's. He's not the fighter of the year. No, no, no. No, this is this. That's crazy talk, man. Yeah. And it, I don't know, man. It's that this entire conversation gets gets convoluted with these agendas. Yeah. You know what I mean? And HBO going down this route, and I, you know, I'll, I, 
I'm, I'm starting. It's pathetic, dude. It's pathetic. They're no different than the fucking PBC. No. The only difference is, is that HBO has better fighters. That's the only difference. Because they're resorting to these tactics when we thought that maybe this kind of pressure, this financial pressure that was being put on them by the PBC, the pending sale of Time Warner and HBO, uh, you know, the cutting and slashing of the HBO boxing budget, you know, all these things that w- you would think the leader in boxing programming, HBO, would kind of fight back on that. And instead, they've gotten in line and adopted the same tactics. The only difference, be- uh, look, besides, I'm saying outside the ring, clearly HBO has the better fighters, is that HBO is still a big, respected company that is accessible to the media they haven't pushed anybody away. They still are very inclusive. They want everybody to watch their fights. They haven't drawn a line and gone after a certain demographic. But they're starting to make decisions that are curious. We're going to get to the conversation about the Miguel Cotto versus James Kirkland fight and how apparently that fight is only going forward on HBO pay-per-view because of a favor that they have with Jay-Z that has to do with HBO producing specials with Beyonce, apparently there may have been a conversation where she, she threatened to take her specials across the street. It, I, I don't know what's going on on the HBO side of the street right now. Uh, they're not making very many good fights. Yes, we got Kovalev Ward at the end of the year. We got Lomachenko Walters. Yes, but uh, they just, the fact that they're pushing a lot of stuff to pay-per-view and it's not them really pushing it, it's just they're they're refusing to invest in fights anymore. So it's just a very it's very weird. It's like they you guys had a year to capitalize on what the PBC was leaving the door wide open for for HBO to have a huge year and and capture every boxing fan. They did the exact opposite. This has been the worst fucking eight year of HBO boxing I can remember. And to be quite fucking honest, going into the end of this year and the start of 2017 uh, Showtime is kicking their ass in matchups. Matchups, yes. Matchups, yes. Yeah, but not talent. No, not talent, and and and, and not numbers either. Because no matter what they do, they won't get the numbers that HBO gets. That was proven this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the the viewership for Quayar Mara's Charlie Williams two hundred thousand? Yeah, that's that's unreal. Crawford at eight hundred thousand. Unreal, man. Oh, uh, who really gives a fuck? The better matchups were on Showtime. Like, clearly, the better card was on Showtime. Don't mean shit, man. No. Don't no. mean shit. Look, HBO is just, you know, resorting. Yeah, maybe there's a plan. Maybe that's what differentiates them from the PBC with these guys. They're starting to take their A-sides, and it looks like they're building towards a predetermined storyline, which makes the Andre Ward decision that much more suspicious. Yeah. You're starting to see more stuff falling in line with the people that they want to be aligned with. Let me ask you this question. Cotto Kirkland. So you're still in business. You'll still do a pay-per-view with fucking Miguel Cotto, but you have com- you're done doing business with Manny Pacquiao? Makes that decision seem to be a little bit more politically driven that a liberal company uh media company may have a problem with some things that Manny Pacquiao has said over the last year. Absolutely. But you're, but you're still in business with Miguel Cotto. You're trying to tell me he's more lucrative in this fight? And I guess we're getting to it right fucking now, aren't we? Yeah, well, look. The, you you the, know what I mean? The agendas are there. They're all over the fucking sport, man. It, it's, it's, it's But a, it used to be behind closed doors. But now nothing's a secret. You can't, so yeah. all everybody's dirty laundries is right out there for the whiffing. Uh, uh, that's why I always, you hear me say, look, 
you know, boxing, boxing as a sport and boxing fans, be careful how big the sports sport actually gets because <laughs> if, if, if it does get a, exposed and real journalists start covering the sport and people start actually getting called out, uh, it's going to be a little different. <laughs> they don't have to worry about that right now. No. Because all the reporters are buddies with fighters. Oh, it's a joke, man. Hey, man, we're all friends. We're yeah. all friends here, Vin. Yeah. Scared to ask a real fucking question. People always ask. They're like, Kenny, why don't you and Vin ever have any guests on the show? And it's like, well, you know what, man? <laughs> I think there's only five or six people we haven't fucking taken a dump on. Yeah, if you've ever listened to the show, <laughs> I, uh, it's questionable. Oh, no, it's all uh, it's all good fun. All right, so we get back to the heavyweight division. It was on tape delay on HBO. If you couldn't make it, dude, 7 o'clock in the morning. Actually, I woke up at probably, I don't know, 5.30 to my alarm. I look at Twitter, and somebody says, oh, uh, Joseph Parker's getting ready to ring walk. Right. So I have no link. I'm scrambling around. I run out to my truck, fucking freezing ass cold. I was slipping, break my neck, grab my laptop, come inside, trying to find a link, trying to find a link. Finally found it in the 10th round. Fortunately, I was patient. I dealt with it. I was like, okay, I already know what happened in this fight. Right. Fine. Went into it with an open mind. Um, uh, you know, after hearing a lot of people saying that Ruiz, they thought Ruiz won the fight. A lot of people saying that Joseph Parker won, won the fight. The fact remains, Vin, the WBO heavyweight championship, the vacant WBO heavyweight title was on the line in Auckland, New Zealand, and it was Joseph Parker versus Andy Ruiz for this vacant belt. I'll tell you what, man. I thought the fight was steady. It was a little boring at times. Mm-hmm. It wasn't but terrible. It wasn't terrible. It definitely could have been better, and, and, and this is equal parts Andy Ruiz, Joseph Parker, because we have seen Parker in much better shape in previous fights. Yeah. this Not only was he 12 pounds heavier than he's ever been for any of his professional fights, he looked it. It's a little concerning. It is. He, well, he didn't look as bad as Andy Ruiz. No. no. Next to Ruiz, you're fine. Yeah, he looks svelte. <laughs> look, man, that was a uh, – I thought it was going to be that type of fight, a nip-and-tuck fight. Uh, Andy Ruiz, a very slept-on fighter. When the fight came, got on the inside and they, they exchanged on the inside, Ruiz had a lot of success, and he landed some some nice shots in this fight. He did. And I would I think it, up until the sixth round, I had Ruiz up 4-2 after six. From that point on, Ruiz stopped throwing punches. He stopped working. He just followed Parker around the ring, and Parker started landing some bigger shots, especially in the 10th round landed a couple huge shots. He just took control of the second half of the fight, and let's be honest, man, Andy Ruiz was traveling to New Zealand. It was going to take a performance a lot better than that to knock off the house fighter. And in my opinion, Parker won by one point in that fight. Yeah, yeah, it would have taken a knockdown to get a draw. Right. I, 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 yeah, I, I completely agree, especially in those last – that he won five out of the last six rounds. Yeah. And, and, and the bigger shots were landed early on, man – I got a lot of I got a lot of shade from uh, from some of the listeners to the show saying, "Hey man, your boys get your, your boy Parker's getting touched up." Oh yeah, all those comments were coming in like the second, third, and fourth rounds. Um, and then once I finally got to watch the fight and watch everything, I was like, "Yeah." It, to me, it was pretty clear. I mean, Ruiz, look, you can make excuses and say that he's not, you know, body. Handsome, I guess, is what you would say for a man. <laughs> that that is has nothing to look. There, look, there may be some DNA involved in this, but that dude is sloppy fat, sloppy fat. And yeah. if he were relatively in shape, 
he'd be a fucking cruiserweight. So I don't hear any excuses for, uh, for somebody who's got a carpenter's crack in a professional boxing match. The only belly button exposed in boxing, Ken. <laughs> Looks like what, what's it on? Uh, oh, you know if you hit below the on, belt. On Tyson's punch out, the hippo or what? <laughs> King hippo. King hippo. <laughs> I'll just punch him in the belly button. <laughs> oh man, I will say this though. Look, Ruiz had a lot of success on the counter. He 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 seemed to trade well with Parker. He's got good hands, man. I loved his jab to the body. I thought he did a lot of good work in there, man. Um, but at the end of the day, all all the sort of negativity and 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 cries of overrated about Joseph Parker. Look, I've I've watched pretty much every fight this guy's been in. Mm-hmm. This was a very average performance. Okay. Yeah. He's been in some tough fights. Joseph Parker has some pretty clear things that he needs to address if he's going to take this thing further than a you know a three or four fight just token rain mm-hmm. before he steps in with somebody else. He's got to share some things up. But dude, this was not the best of Joseph Parker. No, it was not. And how about this food for thought? Uh, you got three young heavyweight champions. Joseph Parker is probably the most experienced. <laughs> Of those three. It's wild. Honestly. Yeah. He's been in more 12-round fights. He was forced in this fight to make an adjustment after losing the first six rounds. Mm-hmm. The kid figured out a way to win the fight. I mean, whether you think he won or, or, or Ruiz won, Parker made an adjustment in that fight. And, you know, it's, done, it's not something we've, had, we've seen these other guys have to do. So, it's to me, Joseph Parker right now, you know, I'm not going to say he's the best of the three. I used to, you know, I, I'm coming down a little bit on on it, as high as I was on him a year ago, but not much. I'm still high on him, but he's the most experienced of them all. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, he's the only one that's had to make adjustments. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if Wilder made adjustments or not. He just got lucky he didn't get knocked out before he knocked the other guy out. Yeah, his adjustment is throw more right hands. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and a good adjustment it's been so far. It has. All right, so Joseph Parker is the new WBO heavyweight championship. It looks like because of, uh, you know, whatever reason, whatever politics are involved in boxing, that the uh, the number one uh, mandatory challenger, the first mandatory challenger that Joseph Parker will have to meet is Huey Fury. Huey Fury will be the mandatory. The, I, the IBF is very forceful on mandatories. Yeah. Um, and Parker might may get a tune-up, maybe two, just so he can make a little bit of cash, but... That fight's coming. Yeah, I, I don't see the IBF letting him get away with more than one fight. But everybody that's on this Huey Fury hype train, they need to fucking relax. He has not fought enough. He has fought absolutely nobody's. And you could consider him at the very infancy of development right now. Yeah, uh, he's been pretty inactive, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, give me a break. He's going to step in and, and be ready for a guy that has as much experience as Joseph Parker, and Joseph Parker doesn't have that much experience. I'll tell you what I'm going to be looking for in the next Joseph Parker fight is uh, let's be in a little bit better shape, bud. Absolutely. Please. Absolutely, because he was clearly in the worst shape of his career. Yeah. I don't want to see that start to be a thing. Five pounds more each fight. No, that's not good. Don't catch the Andy Ruiz uh, (laughs) disease. Yeah. I hope to see him back in the gym soon. Hey, look, man. He'll make some good fights in the future. I'll take him against any up-and-coming heavyweight against any of the – I'd rather see him against Wilder. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. How about Big Baby Miller? Jesus (laughs) Christ. That would be a massacre. They'd have to fucking support that ring. That's one guy that I keep fucking sleeping on in that division. He's not going to get a chance for a while, but that's a scary fucking opponent, boy. Indeed. Big Baby Miller. 
All right, let's bounce back to Showtime Championship Boxing from the Galen Center on the campus of the University of Southern California. It was Jesus Cuellar versus Abner Mares in the main event. And in the co-feature, which led off the evening, it was Jamal Charlo defending his IBF junior middleweight crown against Julian J-Rock Williams. All right, let's start with the co-feature, Vin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlo versus J-Rock, all right? J-Rock coming into this fight um, has been really inactive. Okay, he yeah. has, hasn't fought in nine months, only fighting once so far this year. Coming into the biggest fight of his career against Jamal Charlo. Now, look, right off the gate, J-Rock was favored by many in this fight. There was a lot of question of the character of Jamal Charlo, if he had the intestinal fortitude to be able to withstand uh, the attack, uh, the pedigree, the quickness of a guy like Julian Williams. You and I both picked J-Rock for this fight. Absolutely. One thing became very apparent immediately as these two guys went from corner and met in the ring uh, face-to-face at the opening bell is that Jamal Charlo looked more like Goldberg and Julian Williams looked more like Usain Bolt. Yeah, it was a a big size discrepancy. Not, you know, when we were previewing the fight, I wasn't wasn't expecting to see that in the ring. No. That discrepancy of size. That was was much bigger than expected. And look, I, I, I... what stuck out in this fight to me, Ken, early on was, you know, Julian Williams had some success, some success getting in and out, constant movement, but he wasn't getting anything on his punches. His feet were never set. He was constantly in more active movement-wise in the ring than we're used to seeing. He's normally a very settled, strategic, calculated fighter. That was not him in this fight. It was almost more of an, an amateur style, and, and I think he got touched early. And felt Charlo's power and was like, okay, uh, I don't, I don't like the way that feels early. I mean, dude, a, a fucking jab. I mean, that jab put him on Queer Street. It did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it did. I mean, he got up and was dancing. Then let's be honest, he never got his legs fully back. No, and I, you know, I don't know if he got caught cold without being into the fight yet. You know, obviously coming out of this fight, the question is: is does J Rock have the chin to compete at at, at world level? I, I I still think he has the skills. He had some some offensive success. Oh, after dude, after the knockdown on my scorecard, I had Charlo winning the first round, which was a very close round, mm-hmm. I thought. But I but I eked it over to Charlo. Obviously, Charlo took it with the knockdown um, in the second round. But I gave the next two rounds to J Rock. I thought that he did some impressive boxing move. Look, you talked about how his style looked a little more amateurish. It was almost like he was implementing an offensive tech similar to what Vasily Lomachenko does, spinning around the target. You know what I mean? Uh, coming in with a, a jab-jab with the left, leading with his left foot, then stepping to the right and coming with a cross. But like you said, he never was planted. Okay? Nothing that he threw phased Charlo enough. Now, maybe J-Rock has good power like we think he does, and Charlo just has a fucking Carl Frotch chin. You right. know what I mean? That could very well be the case. Something else that stands out to me, other than that just epic uppercut that J-Rock got caught with, because it was a catch and shoot that didn't face Charlo whatsoever, and that knockdown was violent. And had it ended there, I think you pointed it out in the in the uh, pre-show, that that might be your knockout of the year, had he not gotten up from that. It's the knockdown of the year, Ken. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's the knockdown of the year. Um, but one thing is very apparent about this, and uh, it was uh, Michael Montero from Montero on Boxing who actually asked Richard Schaefer in the post-fight press conference if there was drug testing for this fight. 
and Schaefer fumbled and stumbled all over it and finally said, no, there wasn't, and acted like he didn't know if there was. But then you got to talk about what happened in the post-fight. <laughs> when J-Rock went over and tried to bury it with Charlo, it, it, it hit people on different accords. Some people got heated. Some people really didn't give a fuck. Where do you stand on the way that Charlo acted in the ring after the fight? You know, I, I fall on the side of I really don't give a fuck because that was that was a... You know, whether whatever you feel about Jamal Charlo coming into this fight, that was a huge moment in his career. That that is now hopefully they take this and it launches a bit of a career. This kid's got some momentum now. Uh, it doesn't bother me the emotion uh, and and apparently, you know, I don't know all the shit talking coming into the fight, but apparently J-Rock was being mouthy. <clears throat> and, you know, when something like that happens and you win in a fight that a lot of people me and you included kind of just were me especially, I picked J-Rock to win nine rounds in this fight and dominate. And I got three rounds into that fight after the jab knockdown, and even when J-Rock was winning in the third and fourth round, I, I feel the same way as you. He he came back off that first knockdown and did some really nice work. But the whole time I'm watching, I'm going, this ain't good. This ain't good because Charlo had his feet planted, was not worried about getting hit, and you knew a timed big punch was coming. It was. I'm just sitting there watching going, it's only a matter of time before I'm going to have to uh, eat crow on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, and eat crow we did. Um, but you know what? Look, we've always been really high on Jamal Charlo. When it came down to picking this fight, it came down to who we thought had what it takes to win this fight. Mm -hmm. And we thought that Julian Williams had a little bit more. Um, Jamal Charlo proved a lot to me in the sense that he is no punk. He will not back down. <clears throat> His power is for real. Yeah. Okay, now we may find out down the road that Julian Williams gets knocked out by guys that have much lesser power. Right. Let's be honest. He had never been in the ring with anybody that could fucking punch before. No, 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 no. Ever. He could turn it around. He could, look, he could become Amir Khan. He could become Jorge Linares, right? Jorge Linares would be in everybody's top 10 pound-for-pound pound list in the world right now. Yeah. If it wasn't for his chin. Because there's no doubt he is one of the 10 best boxers in the world. Or... You can have a con career where you kind of just stay active, make some money, you know, take big fights, get knocked out here, get knocked out there, and be kind of exposed. Or you can have a Terry Norris moment where his first step-up fight, he gets knocked out by Julian Jackson, you know what I'm saying, oh, yeah. and goes on to a Hall of Fame career. So there's many roads and many ways that this thing can unfold, and I'm not writing him off, off just yet because he showed me some serious talent in that fight. Yeah, he had, he had nice moments and spots in that fight. And I think he learned a huge lesson. Look, I, right now, to me, the perfect fight is, and you need to get him back in the ring in three months, three, four months. Uh, let, let's get J-Rock and let's get Austin Trout in a fight as soon as possible. Because he needs to be in a fight against another tough fighter. Because if he can't beat an Austin Trout, well, guess what? It's over, baby. You know, it's funny. Today when I was at work, I was thinking about this in the truck. And I was like, I was like man, who would be the perfect bounce back fight. And you said Trout, and I thought for a second you were going to say the guy that I, you know, that came to my mind. But he's pretty much the same guy and at the same level. I was going to say Vonis Martirosian. Perfect, yeah. You know what I mean? Put him in the ring with a guy that doesn't have a lot of power, you know, that's a little easier on his chin and guess what? If he shows chinny against Trout or Vonis, then we, we got big problems. Yes, Houston, there is a problem. Yeah. Um but give Jamal Charlo all the credit in the world, man. He's got scary power. If this guy, if they're able to seize this momentum, hopefully Richard Schaefer being back in the game, whatever you may think about this man, 
He gets shit done. He gets shit done. Old dick gets it done. Old tricky dick. (laughs) Um, They can really seize this. And look, I responded immediately in the aftermath of the fight saying, like, that is a typical response of a guy that only has five fans. You know, because the way that the crowd reacted to it. Look, in reality, it didn't offend me. I didn't really care. And I kind of agree with what a lot of people are saying. It's like, dude, if people are going to boo you that freely, like, just that freely. Go for it. Dude, fucking Floyd Mayweather became the most valuable, biggest money-making sports entity athlete in the history of sports. Fucking go ahead and become the NWO. Hey. Ken, once you make them boo, if you make them boo first, yeah. guess what? There's going to be another group right behind those booers that like, ooh, I like him because everybody's booing him. A- absolutely. <laughs> hey, ditch the Young Lions moniker and become the Wolfpack. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> These two come out in Wolfpack shirts, man. Have fucking Scott Hall and Kevin Nash escort them to the ring. A Charlo tag team fight? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I did suggest with uh, our At The Boxing Rant Twitter account, that they uh, start their own YouTube special called the Young Lions Den. In the same spirit of the, uh, what was it, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the barbershop? Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, man. You got to love it, though. Why not, man? <clears throat> I mean, look, the theatrics and the gimmicks of it. Like, yeah. when they add the WWE shtick to fucking lopsided 100-to-1 mismatch fights to try to get some, you know, some fanfare behind it, that's when it becomes fucking shtick. Right. If you're going to be cheesy and tacky like the PBC has been, please, make it fucking all the way. <laughs> Sell out, man. Then what did you say? Tables, ladders, and chairs. Let's oh, do my. it. Oh, let's do it, baby. <laughs> Hell in the cell. Oh, absolutely, man. Look, Charlo says he's ready to move up to 160, okay? He's, but he also called out Canelo. I would love to see a Canelo versus Charlo fight because that proposes... A lot of questions that uh, Kid Cinnamon may have to answer. Here's here's the uh, Golden Boy Promotions office uh, tomorrow when the phone rings from Team Charlo. Ring. Yeah, hi. We'd uh, we'd like to uh, talk negotiations at a, a fight for Canelo. Uh, what's your name? Click. <laughs> hey, dude, there's, that's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> oh man, hey man, you never know. Golden Boy ain't, ain't gonna put. Ain't, they're not gonna risk Canelo in that fight. Not before. The, not before the Triple G fight, anyways. So Boo Boo Andre steps up to the podium and calls out Charlo after the fight. Hey, I'd, I'd love to see that fight. Love to see it. Then right before we go on the air tonight, Arislandi Lara sends out a tweet and says, "Hey, I'm gonna talk to my people. Tell them to make me versus Boo Boo Andre this summer." Oh, you got to have the Yuri Foreman fight first, huh? Oh, my God, that guy. One guy stays inactive and doesn't fight. One guy fights Yuri Foreman. (laughs) Uh, Look, give me a break. I hope he does move up to 160, Jamal, because it kind of just breaks up the the monotony of that division. Peter Quillen sounded like a good first opponent. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That just made you hard, didn't it? (laughs) Somebody better. Uh, last picture I saw, of Quillen looks like he needs to lose about twenty five pounds. Oh, dude, Quillen is a is a motivational speaker. He's got the same uh, kind of personality disorder, uh, the same kind of like narcissistic, delusional uh, 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 personality disorder that Robert Griffin the Third has. Remember his last like two years here in DC when he wasn't playing, yeah. and he was just fucking because he had like a million Twitter flo- uh, followers, man. And it was just motivational tweet after motivational oh tweet God. from a guy that's not even participating in his job. <laughs> <laughs> that's
That's all Quillen does now. Uh, I think he posted a picture of uh, him and Shia LaBeouf in the gym. Oh, word. I'm like, <laughs> I would never. Who cares about Shia LaBeouf? Too it's, a perfect, it's a perfect picture. It's like, yeah, uh, picture of two guys that nobody gives a shit about. Maybe they have the same psychiatrist. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, look, whatever he does, man, let's get this guy back in the ring. Yeah. Er- you know what I mean? Early as possible. Yeah, look, uh, he's got he's got some momentum. Uh, we've said it before, PBC. Capitalize, please. A- absolutely. Strike while the iron is hot. All right, let's go down south where it's probably a little warmer than it is here. It's a Monterey, Mexico. Um, it was on BN. Then I actually watched this last fight of the night on the DVR mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday night, and uh, I, I got to say this. Maybe it was because Chavez was allowed to eat the beef in Mexico in the lead-up to this fight. <laughs> wink, wink. But he looked in the best shape I have seen him since the Sergio Martinez fight, physically. Yeah, look, somebody's done some work, uh, whether it's natural or not. I'm not going to get into that. I'm uh, pretty sure it's not. Isn't he working with old uh, Memo? <laughs> yeah, I think he is. Oh, Fruit Loops was sprinkled with a little bit of D-ball? <laughs> He's stacking, son. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I don't know what to think of this kid, man. I really don't. I, he's going to get a big fight, apparently. Canelo he's going to get Canelo or Golovkin. He's going to get Golovkin in Kazakhstan or Canelo in Mexico next year. It's unfucking believable. <laughs> this guy's going to just stroll right back into the sport that he completely disrespected for two years, and he's going to get a huge payday. Got to love that JCC Jr. name, baby. Daddy's coattails are mighty long. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> Unreal. He did what Chavez does. He was bigger than the guy that he's – every guy that Chavez has beat. That's all he did at middleweight was yeah. beat up guy. He'd come into the fight weighing 178 pounds and beat up little guys. Dude, remember how much bigger he was than Andy Lee? Oh, my God. Man. Oh, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, man, hey, if he stays in that kind of shape and he's going to come to fight – I'm down for those two gratuitous fucking knockouts. Let's see if he's got anything left. I highly doubt it. I'll just put it to you like this. If, if I know it was at 172-pound catch weight, but if Fonfara finished him, uh, Golovkin and Canelo make short work. Come on. And what the fuck is the catch weight going to be? You think Chavez is coming down to 160 to fight Canelo? Absolutely not. Golovkin no. will, 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 will pay Chavez probably 3 or $4 million to fight him at 168 and have no problem coming up and beating his ass. Everybody, yeah, funny how people will come up and wait. <laughs> oh, you're you, you going to serve me up Chavez Jr. for a big payday? Yeah, 168, I can do that. Well, I guarantee you that uh, Tom Loeffler in K2 says, uh, hey, uh, Chavez, you may be in better shape, but that $7 million offer plus benefits that you had last time, no, no, no. I think promoters overvalue uh, Chavez Jr.'s worth a little bit. I think back when they made that pitch to Chavez, dude, that was before he started his oh, yeah. down, uh, downward spiral. That would have been huge yeah. then. That would have been huge. But now... It Three just, years have passed. Yeah, it just doesn't... Eh, it's got no weight, man. Oh, man. All right, let's shift over to the fight preview for a guy that carries much weight in the annals and lore of the sport of professional boxing will go down in history. will be inducted in Canastota one day coming back for what we think is his final fight. It's the return for the final time of the alien of the executioner, Bernard Hopkins, as he squares off against Joe Smith in a light heavyweight contest from the forum live on HBO this Saturday night. 
I don't know what to. Th- I really don't know what to think about this one, Ken. I'm I'm really not excited about it. It's it's weird, man. This guy's one of my favorite fighters of all time. Top he, three favorite fighters of all time. Yeah, he's a Philly guy. You know, I'm a Philly guy. I'm not from Philly, but I'm a big Philly sports fan. I, you know, it, it to me it's it's got a, it's got just a, a bit of a sad feel to it because you know Joe Smith is what he is. He had a big win and. I, my my question in this fight is, are they picking off a guy that really just got lucky and landed a lucky punch so Bernard Hopkins can get a win to finish his career? Possibility. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure at 51. I don't care who it is in there. I don't think he has the physical tools anymore to win a fight. Against a young kid. No, man. He's, this kid's strong, man. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I I don't know, man. This is it's a tough one for me. Yeah, you don't want to see this thing go the way it looked against uh, Sergey Kovalev two years ago in that first round. Yeah, you know what I mean. The, the direction it looked, it was you know like it was heading. And Joe Smith has said, I, "I'm coming to finish what Sergey Kovalev started." Well, you know what that does. This is a fucking launching pad for his career. Whether Hopkins is 51 or not, if he knocks him out, he'll be the first one to do it. Well, this division needs some depth. It's top heavy as fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not, I'm not saying I'm rooting for Joe Smith because I'm always going to be rooting for old Beehive. Oh, hell yeah. I think it's going to be slow motion. I think he may think that Joe Smith is just slow enough that it's not going. Look, he's going to neutralize this guy. He's going to try to stink it out. And you know what? Maybe this turns into a Beboot Shumanoff moment. You know what I mean? Because right. I don't think, I, personally, I don't think Joe Smith's any better than Beboot Shumanoff. No, no, no. At no, least from what we've no, seen. No. So uh, I don't know, man. I'm with you. This fight. I would watch it just to pay homage to one of the all-time greats, one of the greatest middleweights of all time. Yep. But truth be told, my eyes are set on uh, two guys that uh, have been gracing the pages of the prospect list here at the boxing ring. Yeah, you're exactly <clears throat> right, man. I, I mean, let's be honest. It's, you know, what for what Bar- Bernard Hopkins means to the sport, I love the guy, but this is just, um, I don't need it. All right, before we get to the two highly touted, one of them has uh, lifted a belt this year. Um, B-Hop versus Joe Smith. I know as much as it pains you, give me your honest prediction here, Vin. Oh, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't fucking know. Is B-Hop going to stink it out and win a, win a decision that he probably shouldn't win? If you can't decide, just be biased. <laughs> Honestly, you don't have to be not, neutral on now, this one. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, I think Joe Smith's going to win this fight. He's going to do <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm, I'm being dead serious. He'll he'll do enough work to win this fight. Mm. Uh, he's fucking 51. Okay, he is 51. <clears throat> not many people are going to point this out because this is such a positive sort of fare thee well to the all time great to the old man. I'm just going to point out some conflict of interests that are going on in this fight which tells me that Bernard Hopkins, as long as he doesn't get knocked out, this is in the bag. It's a guaranteed win. Mm -hmm. There's a huge conflict of interest that the owner of Golden Boy Promotions is promoting his own fight and his own farewell fight at that. (laughs) (laughs) He's the promoter, Vin. Yeah. This is some Vince McMahon shit. I mean, look, it's it's got to be lined up in his favor for sure. (laughs) I just don't think he's got to. I'm not preaching conspiracy, but come on, man. Yeah. No, it's going to be very tough for, for Smith to win a decision, for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if Smith drops his ass, though. No, I would not either. <laughs> what, what What's your punch resistance like at 50-plus? He hasn't fought in two years, Vin. 
Yeah, this this could be very bad. A layoff from 49 to 51. Look, I'm going to think optimistically on this one. I'm going to take B-Hop by split decision. I hope so. But I hope it ain't ugly, and I hope it's not a, a gift on his way out. Win one for the Gipper, baby. <laughs> All right, so let's get to these two fights that are going to support it, which make this a very worthwhile uh, boxing-watching uh, evening. Uh, December 17th is Saturday from the Forum in support of Bernard Hopkins' farewell fight. It's the return of one of the most talented f- young fighters in boxing, but one of the future great featherweights, and maybe he moves up along the way. Jojo Diaz is on the cusp. He's right on the brink. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, you could say, oh, whatever, man. You said the same thing about J-Rock. Yeah, well, you know what? We got 9 out of 10 right, man. You know what I mean? Right. So J-Rock didn't win a title. Eight other guys did. And one, and one other guy that hasn't yet, the only other guy that doesn't have a title yet now, then, Jojo Diaz returns against Horatio Garcia. And I'm looking forward to this because I don't give a fuck that he's not contending for a title yet. Just one more opportunity to see this kid grow because unless your last name is Valdez or Lomachenko, I don't see you standing in this kid's way. No, no, this kid's got supreme talent and is just he's just fun to watch fight, man. He just brings it nonstop. I, look, he's one of my favorite fighters to watch right now, Ken, period. Yeah. he he's Win, lose, or draw, I don't care. He, he makes this card, uh, along with the next guy we're going to talk about, watchable. Yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Um, it's another showcase. It's another notch in the belt. They are promoting their guys properly along the way. Mm-hmm. All right, so joining the party, having signed a promotional deal um, with his, oh, I guess he was under the banner of K2 in the Ukraine. It's the Olympic gold medalist from um, the 2012 Olympics. Alexander Usyk recently crowned, uh, soundly defeating in the backyard of Krzysztof Glavatsky in Poland, going and taking the belt from the champion in dominant fashion. Alexander Usyk, Tom Loeffler, he's coming to America. He's here. I am so glad that this didn't turn into an international promotional deal, Yeah, that they're bringing him to the United States. It's the right move. Dude, this guy is literally, you've heard people say this before, but it is the truth. He is the cruiserweight version of Vasily Lomachenko. Yeah, he's just a joy to watch fucking box, man. He's just so smooth for a big guy. And this is not the end of what we're going to see from this kid. And and let's be honest, Machuna, the replacement in this fight, is going to be his toughest opponent besides Glavatsky. Machuna's not a pushover. No, but not by any means. So, you know, I'd look to see this kid grow in this fight. He's only getting better. He's got the belt. Uh, it's only a matter of time to me before he takes over the cruiserweight division. Yeah, and I envision that um, he will appear on the next Triple G Gennady Golovkin card. And, dude, if you It got, looks to be heading that way, right? It makes perfect sense. Dude, what about the trifecta, the HBO trifecta pay-per-view of Golovkin, Lomachenko, and Usyk together? Well, that would be the right way to do it. Oh, we'll see combinations of them because K2 relationships with Igus Klimas, these, uh, these guys that are coming out, of uh, of these boxing ranks, especially from the Ukraine. I mean, dude, the last probably 20 years plus have been controlled by the Ukrainians and the damn Cubans. Oh, they're dominating amateur boxing. Dominating. Yeah, yeah you know, Usyk has a fan-friendly uh, style. You know, he, he kind of fits the bill um, for sort of these two opposing uh, fan bases. you got the guys that are bloodthirsty and love the action fights, and you got the guys that are really into the classic stylistics. 
right. and techniques of, of boxing. And Usyk brings both of them. Um, and I think he's still got a lot more to put on the table. He still does need to shed the amateur style a little bit more. He does. Maybe he can take the lead from his countryman Lomachenko and feed off sort of the rise that Lomachenko's on right now because he's on a pretty a pretty steady rise, soon to turn meteoric, I feel. Mm-hmm. Alexander Usyk has that kind of potential, but he does need to ramp it up a little bit. Yeah, I, I think we need to see less of the, you just said it, the amateur scoring style punch yeah. and more of the I'm going to hurt you punch. Because he's got all of them. He does. You know, I thought it interesting, too, is immediately after Joshua beat Molina, he goes, I can't wait to fight Anthony Joshua in the future. <laughs> hey, man, uh, him moving to heavyweight, I mean, with all with all that's going on there now, uh, heavyweight boxing would be unbelievable. Hey, man, sign me up. Hey, I'm I'm ready. All right, real quick, Alexander P- Povetkin versus Berman Stavern for the WBC interim heavyweight title from Russia, then. Just give me a prediction. <laughs> Uh, I'll take Povetkin in that one all day, brother. Yeah. All day. I don't know if he can knock out Stavern, but uh, yeah, give it to me in uh, wide fashion over 12. Stavern's cashing out, bud. Yeah. Vyacheslav Shabransky versus Sullivan Barrera. Friday night, HBO Latino. What do you think about old Slava Shabransky and uh, uh, El Mas Talentoso? I think this has got a chance to be a good one, a yeah. real good one. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to this fight. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I think... Uh, Vyacheslav gets him, Ken. I think he stops him. I think this is probably the last fight scheduled of the year that has a potential to get there for a fight of the year kind of thing. Yeah. I I believe that Shabransky has the motor and just the determination. I mean, dude, we've seen him in fights get blasted, get knocked down early and come back in ferocious fashion. Mm -hmm. He's nonstop. We know Sullivan Barrera's got got good power. Um, And, you know, he's raw, but he's got some explosiveness to him. Yeah. Does he have that same sort of mentality when the going gets tough when Shabransky's putting on the heat. Mm, I don't think so, man. I think Shabransky's got him in this fight. What's your prediction? I'll say uh, give me Shabransky. Let's go ninth round stoppage. Oh, oh, just perpetual motion. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll take Shabransky winning a uh, wide decision. Uh, he may even drop Sullivan Brera in this one. Um, I think he's got some momentum right now, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so uh, news and notes, Triple G. Versus Danny Jacobs, um, all the speculation of a HBO pay-per-view on the 18th of March is now looking like this thing might go to purse bid, and that is it. Hasn't purse bid been pushed back like five times now? For whatever reason, you know, for a million different reasons, this thing is leaning closer and closer to Danny Jacobs vacating his fake ass title and moving away. It's just it's unbelievable, man. Do you think it'll get the purse bid? Do you think the purse bid will happen? Because if oh, that. I- Absolutely. You think? Absolutely. I think he just vacates it and says, hey, where else is he going to go? Is he going to get a fight with Billy Joe Saunders instead? Is that what they're negotiating? Maybe. Who knows? I mean, that makes sense for both Billy Joe Saunders and, and Danny Jacobs for sure. They Jeez. get paid and they avoid a big loss. Two fucking Dodgers. <laughs> I'm just I'm tired of the negotiation talk of this fight, man. I really am. We'll talk about it after the 19th. How about that? Yeah, let's do that, please. All right, we already covered the uh, Cotto James Kirkland announcement coming to you live on HBO pay-per-view. From Frisco, Texas. Over under 100,000 buys for this, Vin. Under (laughs) (laughs) 30,000. And is that because have you deducted the amount of people that would have watched this had Guillermo Rigondeau not been on the undercard? No, he cost the card at least 40,000 buys. (laughs) Just out of pure disgust. Oh, man. The deals that these power brokers make. This is this one just doesn't make sense. No. Hey, man. 
but Cotto is the A side. He got Kirkland to come down to one fifty three. <laughs> a catch weight fight between two fighters. That, that this that, fight leads to nowhere. No, nothing. It is a gratuitous payday for both guys. Yes. This is an obligation from Rock Nation to pay Miguel Cotto. That's it. So if you buy this, you're either the biggest Miguel Cotto fan on the planet or you're just an idiot. They got one fight left with Cotto after this, right? Oh. On contract? I hope not. I thought it was a three-fight deal. Was it, yeah, you're right. It was a three-fight deal. But I'm sure they would do it. I'm sure Rock Nation would raise their hand to try to recoup their losses in a Canelo rematch. Oh, absolutely. And that's what's going to happen if he if he knocks out Kirkland, for sure. That's what they're trying to do. Get get Cotto a knockout. Get a little buzz going yeah, behind knocked him. out the same guy. But they, there's people, they, they're completely sleeping on the fact that James Kirkland is just not relevant. Fight Golovkin first, because if you lose to Golovkin, you always have the Cotto fight to fall back on. I'm surprised he doesn't do that. I'm surprised Rock Nation doesn't push him into that. It's the only way they're going to make their money back on him. They got some side deals, man. It's a Beyonce deal. It's all about a, a concert contract or some... Some, some bachata. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> all right, so let me ask you a question. Where did this fight come from? Elder Alvarez versus Lucian Boutte. Now, Alvarez has been the mandatory challenger for Donna Stevenson for 13 months. And you know what I didn't realize? Because Donna Stevenson has been so absolutely irrelevant to the real world of professional boxing. He's been so far gone. It wasn't until I read the fight announcement article on ESPN's boxing page by Dan Raphael where he highlights and points out that Adonis Stevenson's last mandatory challenger that he fought, that he honored, his last mandatory he honored was against Tony Bellew back in 2013. How is he? St- Dude, Ring, Ring Magazine stripped him of his Ring title over a year ago. What the fuck is Mauricio Suleiman doing and now this fight's allowed to happen. But if he loses, he doesn't get his title shot. I, I, I don't understand, man. Nobody. You Three can't, fucking years, Vin? You can't explain this shit. I, it, there's got to be payoffs happening. I, I, who knows? No, it's been three and a half years. It's a fucking joke, man. No, uh, look, Adonis Stevenson has never, uh, I don't want to say never, but after his fighter of the year campaign and was 2013, he's been nothing. He is totally off the radar of any real boxing fan because, I'm sorry, you disrespect what it means to be a champion. To me, this just sniffs of a fucking Ponzi scheme. They're bringing Lucian Boutte up from 168 pounds to try to possibly get knocked out by Elder Alvarez because there is nothing but a dead man's silence as far as buzz goes for a possible Adonis Stevenson fight. But guess what? The PBC will fucking hype it up against, oh, he's honoring his mandatory. Here he goes. So, and without a fucking dance partner that anybody knows about, because let's be honest, regardless of Elder Alvarez's, you know, uh, scrappy style, his cagey style, his active style, you know, the fact that he is a legitimate top 10, 175 pounder, this guy may be the most unknown of them all. Oh, yeah, and look, you know, there's pay-per-view atrocities happening all over the sport. The biggest one in boxing is Canada having to pay per view to watch fucking Adonis Stevenson fight. Oh, I think there might be a bigger one, Ben. There may be a bigger atrocity, uh, and ITV is getting involved in the mix as they have announced say it ain't so. a February pay-per-view 
for the first world title shot, 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 shot of Chris, Chris, Eubank, Eubank, Junior, 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 as he steps up. Not only, Vin, is he going for his first world title, but he's stepping up to the ranks of 168 pounds to take on the monster from down under, Reynaldo Quinlan for the IBA. See what I do. Super Middleweight Championship of the world. This is it, the moment we've all been waiting for. The IBO, huh? Are we recognizing that as a world champion now? Are they being brought into the mix? They have completely... They've they, they they've finished the transition. They had one foot on the other side of the portal door into another fucking dimension of reality. These guys have completely lost grips, and we always thought they were fucking absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah. This guy is trying to create his own boxing universe, and he thinks that everybody that enters in it to fight him is on a completely different level. This shit is getting fucking med- weird. This is getting medical. Like yeah. th- these guys are bat shit fucking crazy. You you almost have to ask yourself when I saw this deal, I thought for a second like do they realize that or does Eubank senior realize in the back of his mind that he knows his son will never be world level? And let's put Triple G into the conversation as much as we can, associate with him and we'll piggyback that into this deal and basically make as much money as we can off of this kid that is a complete hype job before it all comes crumbling down. Because So he's the USFL? Pretty much. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, folks, because it is. If Chris Eubank Jr. ever steps into a fight with a top 10 legitimate world talent, he is going to lose. This is a cash grab from Team Eubank Congratulations. I don't give a flying fuck. I can't even begin to fathom that there are people listening to this show that are going to buy this fight. Nobody is paying for this. You're paying for a guy that has done nothing in his career. He holds no, he's never hold, held a legitimate belt. Uh, he's got the Lonsdale belt. I know that's got historic value. Yeah, but he just fucking casted it aside. Yeah, it, it doesn't. So he didn't pay it any respect. No. It, it, it means nothing to him. This kid's here to get paid. He's riding off his daddy's name, and he's doing it in the U.K. where people, boxing is big enough now where there's enough fans that don't know any better. That is the only logical argument that anybody could possibly make as to why they are leading this career down the path they are leading it, is that this is his father deep down inside knowing. And he's going to put on the biggest charade possible that he can. Dude, otherwise, it's, 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 it's very, like, people think Tyson Fury's crazy. This is a different fucking level. This isn't the shit we razz on Danny Garcia and Amir Khan for and Billy Joe Saunders. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders, that's a whole nother fucking conversation. That's probably a different, a different chapter in the, in the clinical books of psychiatry. But, you know, dude, this is getting bad. And, and 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 the sort of unawareness and just the the willingness to sell oneself in such a misrepresented manner 
and try to profit off of, because let's be honest, if you're a fucking Chris Eubank fan, you shouldn't be watching the sport of boxing. Let's be fucking honest. I mean, this guy is a disgrace. He's not just a disgrace to boxing. He'd be a disgrace at any sport. He wouldn't get away with this shit in any other sport. Not even the fucking, not even Vince McMahon tolerates this level of fucking craziness. This, I, it, it, this is stratospheric, Vin. This is delusion beyond delusion. I mean, it's it's unreal. <laughs> uh, we've been, you know, been saying this for, I don't know how long we've been covering the kid, a year and a half. Uh, he is exposing himself slowly. People will figure it out. It, it's there. Just look. He's a fraud. A yeah. complete fraud. Charlatan. Yes. All right. So we leave uh, the boxing universe with that. Right? Because yeah. they're, they're out in another fucking universe, so we'll leave this universe, right? <laughs> Works for me. Yeah, we're going to leave reality for now and join Chris Eubank and his old man on a different planet. You got some, you got some good weed for that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know the dojo's coming. But before the dojo, let's drop a little reggae to put ourselves in the mood. What do you think? Uh, yes, I. All right, we'll leave you there. On episode 142 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We appreciate all of you tuning in and listening to the Anthony Joshua versus Eric Molina post-fight, breaking down a little Bud Crawford. Jamal Charlo makes a statement at 154 pounds and puts the boxing world on notice. But you've been dialed in to episode 142 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. and follow my co-host Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings 81 and be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today for all the ways to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, and on Google Play and be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today for the latest videos by us here at the Boxing Rant. To all you out there, thanks for dialing in. We'll see you on episode 143 as we wind down 2016. You've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.